So the last time I did this, I wore this sticker preaching in training. I was told I'm not allowed to wear that anymore. Apparently the training is quick around here. I have to admit I have some pretty good trainers. The service that I spoke at was three days before Christmas for untraditional Christmas. A lot has happened since then, and many of you know that my husband and I are foster parents. But what you may not know is that as I was leaving Glenridge to meet my family at the Vineland location on Christmas Eve, my husband received a very unexpected phone call from Family and Child Services for us to take a six, four, and a two-year-old. Of course he said yes, as many, of, as many as you would have done in that situation. It certainly was an untraditional Christmas that we least expected. So as I wrote this message, not knowing how long we will have these little monkeys, the level of urgency to invest spiritually has heightened for us. It is also a daily reminder of my partnership with this church, my spiritual family, in influencing the children that come through our door at any given time. Not only that, but five days after receiving these three precious little gifts, I had the privilege of baptizing my third daughter. It was a moment I will never forget. So think orange. You may have heard this term tossed around in different settings in the past year, especially if you are a volunteer in the family ministry. Think Orange represents a movement that has taken place in churches for a number of years. It is something that has caught our attention for good reason. It embodies what we have believed about the role of the church and home for years. So why the color orange? As you saw in the opening video, the color red represents the home. It is the heart of unconditional loving relationships that demonstrate God's character. Yellow represents the church. It is a bright light highlighting God's goodness in the world. Orange is the combination of these two colors and represents the impact that could take place in a child's life when church and family come together. A couple of years ago, my husband Andrew and I were reading a book called Weird by Craig Groeschel. In one of the chapters, Craig was talking about family and making the most of our time with our kids while they were in our care. He shared how he was doing this thing with a jar of marbles as a reality check of the weeks that he had left with his teenage daughter before she would move out. Knowing how fast it went with our oldest, we really liked the visible reminder. So off I went to pick up a jar at the dollar store and pulled the marbles from our marble works game that our girls no longer played with. We put them in a jar on our counter. Week by week, we pulled a marble out. Some weeks we forgot, and I would have to dump the marbles out and do a recount. I'm a little type A like that. There were days that we got really excited to take out a marble. And at one point, Chanel even questioned us by saying, you're really doing this marble thing as a countdown because you can't wait till I'm gone. This fall, after a year and a half of pulling out marbles weekly, we emptied the jar, took a picture of her with the empty jar, and packed up her things. As we drove home after dropping her off at Trent University, I completely lost it. I bawled like a baby, walking into Subway for dinner with makeup smeared on my face and could not finish my sub in public. 
I was a complete mess. The thoughts of where time had gone, the questions I had began asking in my head, had we done enough to prepare her for this? We had 18 years. Did we make the most of it? Was the foundation of faith, values, and confidence instilled in her to withstand university dorm life? My guess is that many of you have had a situation that would have had you asking similar questions. Maybe it was when you first dropped your child off at daycare, sent your child off to school for the first time, drove your son to camp for a full summer, or when you let your daughter go on her first date. This is why we are excited about this orange movement for families. Our youth and kids staff began watching videos by Reggie Joyner 18 months ago. He started talking about the use of marbles to illustrate the 40 hours per, week, per year that the church had to impact a child. Compared to the 3,000 hours per year that a parent had, which would be this jar of marbles, this, or this jar of gumballs is 3,000. I not only understood this as a mom, but I also, having been a youth pastor for nine years, was very aware of the limited amount of weekly time that I had to invest in a student's life. The truth is, no one has more potential to influence a child or teen than a parent, and no one can support the family better than a church. I don't know who stole the marble idea from whom, but I think what is important to note is, if you are a parent, you are losing your marbles and fast. And if you are a church volunteer, grandparent, aunt, or uncle, you are losing your marbles too. We are all losing our marbles. Think with me for a minute. What would it look like if the church and family joined forces with the same goals, determination, and focus? I think we could become the kind of village required to raise a child to have a nurturing and long-lasting, loving relationship with God and others. We firmly believe that this could unleash a power unlike anything else, as together we fight for the spiritual future of the next generation of kids and youth. So before I get into the nuts and bolts of how we as a church are strategizing to elevate the importance of equipping and partnering with parents, let's first delve into a scripture as a reminder of God's heart for kids. Mark 10, 13 to 16 says, The people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. The disciples shooed them off, but Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very center of the kingdom, of the life in the kingdom. Mark this, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Then gathering the children in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Last week, Mike talked about Jesus going out of his way to connect with those who were the least important in society, and among them was children. No one was advocating for them or protecting them, and they had no value to society other than to their parents. 
The disciples themselves felt it was beneath Jesus to give time, attention, or value, even in his presence. Yet Jesus elevates them by giving the disciples a serious tongue lashing when they tried to keep kids away from him. We can imagine the disciples' faces as he invites them to climb on his lap, giggling, all talking at once, fighting for his attention. We can imagine Jesus playfully laughing and listening at the raw, unedited unedited comments of these kids and him soaking up the love, innocence, trust, and affection that kids bring to life. Once again, our countercultural Jesus at work. Wes Stafford inspires me in the writing of his book, Too Small to Ignore. He says, every child you encounter is a divine appointment. With each one, you have the power and opportunity to build the child up or tear the child down. A life can be launched with as little as a single phrase, an uplifting word, or an act of kindness. Every child who crosses my path in the grocery line, at the church or at the ballpark, I consider a divine appointment, an opportunity to lift that child up, if only for a moment. It may just be the moment that will launch a life or restore one that needs kindness today. You won't know until eternity that your single act of kindness might not only change the little life standing before you, it might resonate for generations. If God places a child before you and you are too busy to wield either a positive or negative influence, you just did the latter. You communicated that the child doesn't matter and isn't important. Reading this increased my awareness of the children around me. I love the simplicity. It reminds us to embrace that kind of mindset and heart attitude and posture when we interact with kids, looking at them in the same way that Jesus did. This was the exact reason that our kids wanted to return to this very church after their first visit 13 years ago. As Christ followers, we want to be on the front end of imitating and expressing who Jesus is in everything we do. I don't think I need to convince you any further that God's heart is for kids. Because we believe that parents are the primary influence in a child's life, I want to spend some time talking about a home strategy for spiritual parenting. There are five family values that you can read more in depth about in Reggie Joyner and Carrie Newhoff's book titled Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. The five values are widen the circle, imagine the end, fight for the heart, create a rhythm, and make it personal. So let's start with widen the circle. The big idea is to pursue strategic relationships for your kids. Let me give you some examples. At one of our daughter's grade eight graduations, after the formal shaking of hands and receiving of diploma, each graduate was given a rose to hand out to someone that had significantly influenced them. So as I watched my daughter walk across the stage following a number of other students who were handing their roses to their moms, dads, or grandparents, my kid walks over to her life group leader, gave her a hug, and the rose. 
As a youth pastor who was constantly preaching at my volunteers and advocating for adults to be involved in teens' lives, I could not have been more pleased. Now, I would have been really ticked if it went to someone else. My oldest daughter, Alana, is 21 and still visits her high school life group leader periodically throughout the year. They bake together, have life chats, play with her kids. Every time I hear that she's going to her house to hang out, my heart skips a beat. I love it. I absolutely love it. Someone else is investing in my daughter's life and has come alongside us as parents over the years to care for and model a life of Christ to her. In August, I hosted a coming-of-age party at our house for our second daughter, Chanel. I had also done this for Alana just before she left home with 15 women in our living room who had significantly influenced me and or her. We shared words of encouragement and prayers as she entered this new season of life. With tears in my eyes, I sat there looking around the room at the faces of people who cared this much for my kid. I could not have imagined her life group leader from grade eight not being there. So grandparents, singles, marrieds without children, you're not off the hook for this service. This is so much more to family than our immediate biological families. We are part of a much larger spiritual family, and we all have a responsibility to it. We have personally been blessed with the gift of many adults in our kids' lives and have, that have helped shape them and joined Andrew and I in raising them. We needed all of them. There were times we needed them to say the same things that we would when they could not hear it from us. Each person continues to be instrumental in the spiritual growth and health of my family and other families in this very community. So let's move on to the second value. Imagine the end. Sometimes when we think about what it means to be parents, we complicate things with all the books we have read, the parent seminars we've attended, and the show Super Nanny. Many of these things are good and wise to implement, but we often create these unrealistic expectations of ourselves and others of what it means to be a great parent. Then we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, leaving us constantly feeling defeated. We become so distracted by all the things we think are important and run the risk of not prioritizing the most important thing, laying a spiritual foundation for our kids. So let me alleviate a little bit of pressure for you by helping you in knowing where to start or ground your parenting. Reading from Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9, it says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road going to hockey or gymnastics or volleyball, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the vision for the kind of spiritual investment you get to make in your kids' lives. The opportunity every single day to be the spiritual leaders that God calls you to be. 
What I find most comforting about these verses is that the more you practice this, the more it becomes a part of your daily life. It becomes as natural as driving a car after a period of time. When I was a little girl and went to my Opa and Oma's for sleepovers, they would make us memorize scripture. The only one I remember is John 3, 16. As I grew up and would continue to visit, they would share stories of the missionaries they supported, had university students in their home for lunch, and would share their faith on their many trips to Florida. We would be mesmerized by the passion in their prayers and annoyed by the length of them. But there was one thing my Oma would always say, even as recent as a few years ago before she died. In her thick Dutch accent, she would say, Sophia, do you love the Lord? And I would say to her, yes, Oma, I love the Lord. And her eyes would tear up and she would smile and give me a kiss. We always knew what was the most important thing to her. This is what I want to leave as a personal legacy for my kids, your kids, and generations after them. Reggie says this, number three, sorry, fight for the heart. Reggie says this perfectly. Your role as a parent is not to impress your children or anyone else with your ability to parent. Your role is to impress on your children the love and character of God. So the first priority of the family should be to establish a quality of relationships with each other that is a reflection of an authentic relationship with God. The reality is that all of our families are dysfunctional to some degree because we are human and all of us bring our own sin into our relationships. We don't have to look very far to see that there is a lot of strife in many families. Put a bunch of sin-infested individuals under the same roof for 24 hours a day, and this intensifies the dis this dysfunction. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, your kids, grandkids, nieces, and nephews are never too old for you to fight for them, to communicate their value, worth, and express what they mean to you. Even if things have gone real bad, you cannot give up. Last summer, a week after we showed the Reggie Joyner talk about fighting for the heart, that Sunday morning, a grandma came up to me. She shared how she, had in, she was inspired that morning and as a result, bravely and gently chose to reach out to her son. He had been disconnected from the church and the family. Within a couple of days, he responded by coming over for dinner where they had a meal at their table, wept together, and did the hard work of mending their relationship. Praise God, it is never too late. Our fourth value, create a rhythm. Our culture is very fast-paced, result-oriented, and impatient. We know our time is valuable because most of us don't feel like we have enough of it. Ever been in line in the grocery store and the clerk calls for a price check on an item and you hear a number of sighs? 
Have you been that person at Costco checking the size and number of items in the buggies of the people in front of you and in all of the other lines to see if you should switch? Ever said a few choice words when you're behind that really slow driver who can't make up their mind whether they are going to turn or not? All of those examples are me. Our time is valuable to us, and our time is valuable to those closest to us. It is not just time, but the kind of time that is meaningful and builds relationships. It builds closeness, understanding, and a sense of being known. How much of our interactions with our families are like that? Your child asks to read a book, and you sigh. You keep checking the clock, waiting for it to strike seven, so you can rush through bedtime routine to get the kids off to bed, knowing you have not spent more than five minutes listening to your kids share about their day. You're having dinner with your spouse, and you are preoccupied with checking your phone for messages and emails. Again, I am guilty of all three. We get so busy with so many things, and most of them are important, or a vital part of our children's growth and development. But if you're anything like me, you need to stop at times, refocus, and reprioritize periodically. Andrew and I learned a lot from a book we read, Three Big Questions for a Frantic Family, by Patrick Lencioni. We went through the process of developing a family mission statement together with our girls. It helped us embrace and the things that were unique about our family, what we were passionate about, and helped us define God's purpose for us as a family together. With this kind of focus, we were able to prioritize our family time and live out the mission that God had uniquely set out for us. The great part about this book is that it is written for any season of life. It is a very practical tool, giving scenarios for singles, empty nesters, young families, newlyweds. So don't let the title deceive you. Being physically and emotionally present in our kids' and spouses' lives and showing up over and over again, over time, the reputation develops trust and worth in our children and marriages. We often cannot see the results in the short term, but like many things, I believe that what we give them over time is worth it. And time over time is a marathon, not a sprint that will be rewarded at the end with rich relationships. Do not be discouraged by the lack of immediate results or mistakes along the way. Kids need you to be consistent, faithful, and unconditional in your love for them. I once heard someone say no one has ever looked back on their life and regretted spending more time with their family. The opposite is also true. Many people regret that they did not spend more time with their families. Why is it that family vacations or staycations are such impactful and memorable experiences for our children? It is the undivided attention and quantity of quality time that they experience in this environment. So how do we bring that into our daily life? So we want to help you this week by giving you some ideas to create some quality time together on family day or at another time that's convenient for you. We believe in this value so much that our family ministry wants to give you a chance to win an overnight stay at Great Wolf Lodge. 
We have put together a number of activities in the mini mag um, for your family, and we want to hear about it. So for each paragraph that you send in to us about what you did, we'll give you a draw ticket um, that will be entered into a draw for you to win a, a night stay at Great Wolf Lodge. And finally, the fifth value. Make it personal. This is the part where I'm going to tell you to be selfish. You need to put yourself first when it comes to personal spiritual growth. You know on the plane when they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before assisting a child or a person beside you, well, this is it. This value is one that I am very passionate about. It is interesting over the years, as I have talked to many parents about their kids and relationship to the church, I've heard many say, church, camp, church, camp, moral teaching is really good for my kids, but it's not really for me. Others may not actually say it, but show up week after week to church or life group with the attitude that this is good for others and not fully engaged for themselves. There are a number of reasons for that. Sometimes our own bitterness, hurt, or unaddressed conflict with the church has gotten in the way. Sometimes it's a habitual sin that prevents us from fully engaging in a relationship with God and others. Sometimes it is our misunderstanding of who God is, or it may be the way you have seen religion lived out that has caused you to harden your heart. Our kids take their cues from us. If you want your child to have a thriving faith, you need to take your faith seriously. Your kids need to see and hear you express an authentic faith in Christ. It is no different than if you want your child to eat healthy, to have manners, to be generous, to work hard, to, re to resolve conflict, to volunteer, or to be kind to the poor. They are watching you. They are also learning from you what a passionate faith in Christ looks like. You need to model the life you want for your kids. It is not enough for you to just show up, drop your kids off at programs, depending on others to model it, and then neglect your own spiritual health. You need to be taking ownership, being passionate, and growing in your own relationship with Christ if that's what you want for your kids. I was part of a home dedication um, for a toddler just before Christmas. We've recently renamed these events parenting, parent dedications instead of baby dedications because of the nature of what we believe as parents having the most influence in a child's life. This is a practical way for us to rally the home and church, encouraging the parents to take full responsibility as the primary spiritual leaders in kids' lives. Following the formal part of the dedication, I was speaking privately with the dad. His eyes got a little teary and he said, So, I don't think I can do this. He shared how he was overwhelmed with the responsibility of nurturing this in his son's life and being enough of the kind of spiritual leader that his son needed. Many of us have felt this way or still feel this way. I had the opportunity in that moment to assure him that there was a community of faith that was here to walk alongside him and his wife, offering programs for his son to begin laying the foundation of faith. 
And of course, there are also opportunities like Sunday morning adult teaching environments like this. Then there's the opportunity to develop personal relationships through life groups or volunteerism and our location-specific anchor causes to express faith and put that into action. These environments are designed for all of us, parents or not, to empower and equip us to grow spiritually. Indirectly, we become better parents as we become better Christ followers. The church was founded on a number of families. Sorry, this church was founded on a number of families that wanted a different experience of church for their kids. They were very intentional about the desire to raise up the next generation to lead the church at a young age. It was rare in its time, but was woven into the fabric of our culture here at Southridge. A number of years ago, as God began to impress on our hearts this renewed passion to see the next generation take the lead in our church, initiatives were taken to develop young adults. With the adoption of our Vineland location, where the journey of Orange had begun, we eventually were led to adopt the Orange movement. Eighteen months ago, our kids and youth staff started to meet monthly, watching videos by Reggie Joyner, reading the Think Orange textbook, and having discussions around the five values that we just walked through. Up until that time, we were a collection of people that were working in our own departments, independent of each other. The learning that took place in those months impacted decisions that were being made and eventually led us to reorganizing and hiring staff around this team, around this new paradigm. This began the start of our intact family ministry less than a year ago. This team is made up of one full-time staff and five part-time staff who oversee different age demographics who now work together in unity. Our goal is to give the best to families by equipping parents in their spiritual leadership, creating environments that foster healthy relationships between kids and adults, and refining a teaching strategy that is relevant to each age group. We believe that kids, youth, and camp programs are a vital part of nurturing the, ch- nurturing the spiritual life of a child and is another way that we as a church can come alongside and partner with parents. Our church and family ministry staff are making a commitment to families to learn and grow in this area. We commit to doing our part to empower and equip parents. We are learning lots and will make mistakes along the way. We have not arrived and we believe that we are just scratching the surface when it comes to learning what it means to serve families well. We trust God to deliver on the goods that he promises as we continue to depend on him to guide us each step of the way. But we can't do this without you. There are approximately 300 volunteers in our family ministry serving over 340 kids, youth, and marriages each year. We need you. All ages, personalities, gifts, and skills are required for us to be the kind of community that loves and nurtures kids the way Jesus did when he welcomed them to be in relationship with him. 
We need every person to play a role in the spiritual future of the next generation in formal and informal ways. There is a place for you to live out your faith in this community. If you are presently a volunteer in any of our kids, youth, or marriage ministry programs, I want you to stand up right now. Have a look around. You are spiritually impacting the lives of our kids and youth through what you do. We do not take the role that you play lightly and want to publicly thank you for committing and for loving our kids. Never minimize the role you play in influencing our kids and youth. God has entrusted you with a great responsibility and you have embraced it. Thank you from all of us. Please have a seat. In closing, an excerpt from our friend Reggie. Parenting is hard. Families are messy. There are no clear biblical examples. The Bible certainly lends to advice about parenting, and there are a number of universal principles we should apply as parents. But you would have a hard time convincing me that David, Noah, or Eli was an exceptional parent. Because they were bad parents? No, they were human parents. Human parents tend to have human issues. Human parents struggle with the humanness of their own human parents passed down to them. The family exists even in its imperfection to display the heart of God to every generation. Be gracious with yourself. My prayer this morning is that every parent will walk out of this auditorium feeling encouraged and empowered to be the kind of parent that your kids need and that God calls you to be. Not guilt-ridden or feeling like a failure, but excited to take another step in your spiritual journey. May this be the morning that triggers change in you. This, the kind that has the potential to affect a child in your circle of influence or mend a broken relationship that could lead to the ripple effect and affect generations to come. You are not alone in this parenting journey. We are a community and we ultimately can invite God into every area of our lives. We also serve a God that loves our kids more than we ever could. We know it takes a village to raise a child and families in our community need you. Whether you invest in your own or others, this is the lifestyle that we are asking all of you to engage in because it is God's heart. In ending, there is a group of people that I talked about earlier, and although they may take a paycheck home, our family ministry team works above and beyond in providing the care and love of Christ to families. And I have the privilege of working with this group every day. I want you to meet them and for them to have the final word sharing their heart for kids and serving families in this community. Have a look at this video.